listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. It's good to uh, gather with you this morning. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to, to do that after the service today. Uh, man, I'm excited to just open up God's word with you this morning. I'm excited for uh, what we're going to be talking about today and over the next few weeks. You know, we've all had things that take place in our life at, at different points in times that really, that really shape us different moments that we experience. And they could be significant things, kind of big things that happen. And we know, oh man, this is a shaping moment. Sometimes it's smaller things that take place in our life that we don't actually realize how impactful they are until after the fact. And we kind of look back and we recognize how they've shaped us. They've made us more of who we are. And they can be sometimes really great things, sometimes really difficult things. But these shaping circumstances kind of happen all throughout our Lives and, and no matter how big or small, encouraging or challenging, they're a part of our story. They're part of who we are. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series, and, and I, along with the other pastors and elders of Sojourn, really believe that God is going to use this time in His Word over the next five weeks to shape us both as individuals and as a community. That, he, that he's going to significantly do a work in our lives. Now, that's not because I'm going to say anything profound. Everything that I'm going to say has been said before. It's not because we're going to do anything super innovative, because everything we're trying to do has been done by God's people for a long period of time. It's going to be shaping because we believe that Jesus has very clearly laid this out for us and shown us what it looks like to walk it out in our lives, both as individuals and a community. And as we seek to be faithful to live it out, that God will transform us because we do. That in the midst of our striving to be obedient, God will do a transformative work in our individual lives and community for his glory and our good. We believe it's going to be shaping because we'll look back on this time and say, man, I remember this, that God began to do a new kind of work in our midst as his people. And that's not an overstatement. It's not an overstatement because I have confidence, not in our eloquence or outlines, not in systems or structures. I have confidence that God wants to do this work by the power of his spirit in our lives, that his word is right and true. And if we will submit ourselves to that, if we'll place ourselves under God's word, under the leading of his Holy Spirit, that he can and will do this kind of work in our lives. That We would lean into that and see him do a unique thing in the life of our church. Now, before we dive into God's word this morning, I just want to give two disclaimers. Two disclaimers. The first one is, is that this is not a silver bullet solution for anything. So, if you're at our church, you've been here for a little while, or, or just as you're seeking to follow Christ in your life, and, and maybe you're struggling in different ways right now, or you're frustrated, 
or you look at different things in community right now and you feel frustration or you feel just this kind of angst within you right now, I don't want you to think, oh, well, if, as long as we go through this sermon series, that's going to fix everything. But what we're seeking to do as we walk through the next few weeks together is really begin a conversation that we're, we're talking with one another and working together to see this lived out in our life. It's not a silver bullet solution to anything that might be going on in your life. It's just going to fix it right away. The second disclaimer is, in order for this to actually take root in our lives, to gain steam within our community, it requires all of us to be committed to it. That this is something for all of us to do together. And as you'll see and hear, this is a community endeavor, but community is made up of individuals. God has a unique relationship with each one of you. But we come together as his people, as a community. What that means is that all of us have to take personal responsibility for the part we play in this community. And so that means you, as you sit here today. So, if you're looking to sit on the sidelines and be a spectator, or or if you're looking to come and sit and consume, then I don't know that you're going to get a whole lot out of this. Now, my prayer for you in the midst of this is that God will change your heart and change your mind about that, that you don't want to just sit on the sidelines, you don't want to be a spectator, you don't want to just be a consumer. So that's my prayer for you if you find yourself in that place. But if you are willing to lean in and roll up your sleeves, and instead of being a consumer, be a contributor, man, God's going to do some cool stuff. I believe it. So let's lean in together to see Jesus do a work for us and in us. Today we're going to begin with this foundational statement given to us by Jesus. It's a foundational statement that grounds us and guides us. And that's to be disciples who make disciples. To be disciples who make disciples. So listen, if you want to know who Jesus is... Maybe you are here this morning and and you don't have a relationship with Christ yet and you're trying to checking out this whole church thing or or who Jesus actually is and you want to know what that means and what it actually looks like to be a follower of Jesus, then you're in the right place. So we open up God's word over these next few weeks. You're going to hear about what that looks like to be lived out in your life. Or if you already are a follower of Jesus, then this is also a good place for you to be because God wants to show you and continue to reveal to you what it means to know Jesus and follow him and then help others to do the same thing. I'm looking forward to this time in God's word, and I'm hopeful for what he's going to do. So let's pray this morning before we open up to Matthew 28, and just ask God to do that work today and throughout this series. So would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning, and we, we acknowledge your presence as we sang these songs, rejoicing in the fact that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. God, what an amazing reality. I pray that never be old news for us. That you, the transcendent God of all creation, who is holy and just and righteous and eternal and unchanging, has allowed us, these weak and finite, rebellious people, to be made right with you through Christ. So God, I pray that that would be the the foundation for what we think about and, and talk about this morning, that your Holy Spirit would use your word today to bring conviction where we need to be convicted about how we've thought about our relationship with you, but God, also bring us encouragement. I pray you'd fire us up this morning, that we would leave here with just a a fire in our bellies, that you are fanning into flame, that we can't hold in the grace and the good news you've given us in Christ. God, help us to be a force to be reckoned with, not because of ourselves, but because you are working in us and through us. We give this time to you. We pray that you'd be exalted, that you'd be glorified. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
You heard the text read this morning out of Matthew chapter 28, which is often called the Great Commission. And so this may be a text that's familiar to you. If you've been around the church for a while, we've preached on Matthew 28 before as a church. Maybe you are hearing this for the first time this morning. You've never heard this text before, and that's okay as well. Both of those are fine, because what I want all of us to do is listen this morning with fresh ears and look at God's word with fresh eyes this morning and, and lean in and hear what God wants to say to us today through his word. Now, it's important when we study scripture to get context about what is going on with these verses. It's just three verses that were read this morning and that we're going to focus in on, but what's the larger context of what's happening here in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew? The the gospel of Matthew is Matthew's account of Jesus's life and ministry, and right before this, Jesus has gone to the cross, and he has been crucified on a Roman cross, put in that position by religious leaders who don't like who Jesus is and don't like the message that he's preaching. And he goes to that cross not because he did anything wrong. He goes to that cross because he's going for you, going to be a substitute for you, to stand in your place. And as he's crucified on that cross, God pours out all of his just and righteous wrath on Jesus so that in Jesus and through Jesus, you can be reconciled to God, that you could have a relationship with him. But Jesus doesn't stay dead. Jesus says, Before he dies, he will rise again, and then in fact, he actually does rise again. And earlier on in chapter 28, we see that people go looking for Jesus, and the angel of the Lord says to him, he is not here, for he is risen. Jesus is alive. He's been raised again to rule and reign. And so it's in light of that context of the resurrection that we come to these words that Jesus speaks to us at the end of Matthew 28. So listen to these words again in light of the context of Jesus being crucified and raised again from the grave. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says this, And Jesus came and said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what's going on here? It's in light of the resurrection that Jesus commands his disciples to do something. And what is it he commands them to do? To make disciples. It's actually the only command that's in this text. Everything else that's mentioned in this text is both the how and the who that we're supposed to do that with, the making of disciples. And it's a command that's rooted in his authority, authority that he has because he is the resurrected king, the risen Jesus. But before we get into what it means to actually make disciples, I think there's an important question for us to answer this morning. And that's, that is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? In verse 19, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. And that's clear and concise. And it, it seems to be clear to them. They must have understood what Jesus was talking about because he doesn't give any other definition to it. He speaks to them, says, go and make disciples. And they take that up. But do we have the same understanding that those disciples did of what Jesus was actually calling them to make and in turn calling us to make? If you've been around the church for a while, you're familiar, I'm guessing, with the term disciple. But but I wonder if sometimes that term gets short-circuited for us or, or we kind of forget the significance of what it means to be called a disciple of Jesus. At its most basic level, a disciple is a learner or a student. It's someone who 
who has a teacher that they're following their teachings. And as they listen to their teachings, they're seeking to discipline themselves within those teachings and and live those things out in their own lives. Even today in culture, people will use the term disciple and be like, oh, he's a disciple of so-and-so or she's a disciple of so-and-so. Maybe it's a a philosopher or a psychologist or someone in the medical field or an engineer or a designer. They're a disciple of that person. All they're saying with that is they're a learner. They're following in their footsteps and seeking to live out the things that they're teaching. Within scripture, disciple is the most common term that's used to describe Jesus' people, even more so than being called Christians. In fact, it's in the book of Acts that it says this is the first time they were called Christians in Antioch, that the disciples were called Christians. So disciple is the phrase that's most often used to describe Jesus' people. See, I think what can happen sometimes in our thinking is that we can start to believe that someone being a disciple of Jesus both begins and ends when they first believe the gospel. What I mean by that is that if you hear the good news of Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he's the only way for you to be reconciled to God, that when you place your faith in him, when you place your trust in him, that that's both the beginning and the end of you being a disciple of Jesus. And it certainly includes that. No one can be a disciple apart from believing the gospel. There's no way to be a disciple of Jesus unless you place your faith in Jesus, believing that he's the only way for you to be made right with God. And there are no people who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, who who, uh, haven't believed the gospel. Everyone is a disciple who believes the gospel. What I mean, there's no two categories. There's not like, well, there's Christians, people who have their faith in Jesus, then there's disciples. Those are people who are serious about Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is who you are. Everyone is a disciple. But we have to know that's just the beginning, placing your faith in Christ. It's just the beginning. It's just the entry point into a new life. And that new life is a life of following Jesus. If we go back throughout the gospel stories, through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, even just here in the book of Matthew in particular, we see that Jesus most often, the language he uses most often when he is calling people to himself. What does he say to them? He says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't call them just to believe a set of principles and then kind of go on their own way. He says, follow me. And when he calls these first disciples to himself, they literally follow him. Sometimes dropping what they're doing and just walking after him. But being a disciple isn't just about following Jesus in a literal sense. Obviously, he isn't physically present with us today, but he still calls us to follow him. So that means he's calling us to follow him in the totality of our life. When Jesus calls you, he's calling you to change your allegiance. That you're no longer following the kingdom of this world. You're no longer seeking to be your own king and queen of your own life. He's calling you to transform and redirect your affections that what you desire and what you love is altered and transformed because you're following a king of a new kingdom, a better kingdom that's different than the way of this world. I mean, listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would want to be called one of mine, To be a disciple, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is doing here for his immediate group of disciples and for us today as we read his word is he's explaining to you what it means to be a disciple. If you want to know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus, it's denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. It's, di- it's dying to yourself. It's uniting with Jesus in his death and resurrection. It's saying, Jesus, you're Lord, you're King, you're my master. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be conformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. To look more and more and more like Jesus. So what that means is, is that there's a real cost to following Jesus. To, to laying down your rights, to laying down the autonomy that you think that you have, which you don't actually have. You're a slave to sin. The world likes to tell you something different. But it's laying down that false autonomy, that false freedom, and saying, I believe that true freedom is found in following a new master, a new king, that Jesus is Lord. There's a real cost to following Jesus, but I actually think it's a cost that only the world believes is a cost. Because all the world sees is dying. They miss the rising. They miss that there's new life found in Jesus, that freedom and freedom and joy and peace alone are found in knowing and following Jesus as king. But here's something I don't want us to miss in this for any of us. Whether you've called yourself a a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus for a few minutes or for the majority of your life. This, This idea of being a disciple who follows Jesus, it's not something that can be done by proxy. It's not something you can phone in. No one else can follow Jesus for you. Jesus' purpose to save you, and when he says, follow me to you, he's talking to you. and calling you to actually align your life with his. Listen to these sobering words from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2. John says this, Whoever says I know him, whoever says I know Jesus, whoever says I'm a Christian, whoever says I'm a disciple, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. What's John saying there? He's saying, if you say that you're a disciple of Jesus, if you say that you're a Christian, but you're not actually following Jesus, then that's not actually true. It says the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, whoever keeps Jesus' word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Then listen to this. By this, we may know that we are in him. By this, we may know that we have a relationship with Christ, that we are actually disciples of Jesus. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you are calling yourself a disciple of Jesus, then your life is conformed to Christ. Walking in the way he walks means you're you're following him. You're you're living the life that he's called you to live. You see Jesus as both your example and your means of being able to live this transformed life. It comes from following him. Let me ask you this morning, is that your understanding of being a disciple? When you think about your own life, not thinking about the people sitting next to you this morning, maybe somebody that's not here right now, is that your understanding of what it means for you to be a disciple? And if that's the case, are you a disciple? Or are you just playing a part? Is this what your life looks like? Are you seeking to actually submit the entirety of your life to Jesus as Lord and as King? 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you're recognizing by the, by the work of the Spirit in your life right now, maybe for the very first time, that that's not true for you, that you've maybe been calling yourself a Christian for a long time, calling yourself a disciple, but you're not actually following Jesus, or maybe you know you've never called yourself a follower of Jesus. Friend, let me encourage you this morning and plead with you, repent and place your trust and faith in Jesus today. Begin following him now. Now is a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Start following him now. See, we have to answer this question, what is a disciple? Because if we get that wrong, then if we seek to go and make disciples, then we're going to make something that Jesus doesn't intend for us to make. So when we answer the question, what is a disciple? It matters because of what, a disi- what disciples are called to do. That's our next question. What do disciples do? Simply put, they make more disciples. They, they replicate themselves. It doesn't stop with you. Jesus didn't just save you and bring you into his kingdom so that you could have your own little party with Jesus. No, he, he intends for that to continue to go out, and that should make sense to us, and here's why. If you believe Jesus is actually who he says he is, that he came to reconcile the world to God through his sacrifice, that he is king and Lord, it has been raised from the grave, if you actually believe that to be true, if you believe that real life and real freedom and joy and hope and peace are found in knowing Jesus and him alone, if Jesus is actually the Lord of your life, that you're seeking to follow him in every area of your life, and you're repenting along the way, because being a disciple doesn't mean you get everything right all the time. It doesn't mean you don't continue to struggle with rebellion. It doesn't mean that you don't continue to struggle with sin. But you are striving to walk in faithfulness. And you're repenting along the way. And you're turning back to Jesus along the way. If you're actually seeking to do that, if Jesus is your greatest treasure, then why in the world would you not be compelled to go tell other people about that? I mean, it's an overflow of your life. That he's your greatest joy. That you want other people to know and experience that same freedom that you have in Christ. Say, friend, I don't get it all right, but man, Jesus does. Now, I don't have it all together, but Jesus does. This world is giving you false hope and false promises, but Jesus doesn't give or say anything false to you. Everything he communicates to you is true, and one day he will come again and make all things new. Do you know him? Will you follow him with me? It compels you to go. So here's what that means for you and I, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is that Jesus' command, and is a command, it's not a suggestion, His command to you to be a disciple who makes disciples is not a burden, it's a privilege. Jesus, you let me help make more disciples? You don't need me, but you allow me to be a part of this. What a joy, what a privilege. Now, I don't go see movies a whole lot anymore. I don't have always the time to do that, and movies are expensive, like really expensive. I guess I'm stuck in growing up when they were like five bucks. But just two weeks ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go see a movie called 1917. Has anybody seen that movie yet? Or maybe you've seen the preview for it? Okay. Here's the premise of the movie. It takes place in 1917, in the middle of World War I. And there are two British soldiers that are, are given this task by their general to take a really important message to a colonel who's on the front lines that if they don't deliver this message, uh, somewhere around almost 2,000 troops will meet certain defeat and death. And so they're dispatched to go deliver this message, to cross through fields and all kinds of different things to go take this message to this colonel in front of 
as they get ready to engage the German army. And it's a crazy work of art if you appreciate movies. It's really amazing how they make the movie. But what's compelling to me about the story, what I appreciate the most about the story, is the resolve and resiliency of these two soldiers. There are plenty of opportunities all along the way for them to turn back. There's plenty of opportunities all along the way for them to say, hey, we tried, but it just didn't work out. But all along the way, they keep pressing forward, risking their own lives to fulfill, to try and fulfill this command that's been given to them by a general. Because they know that this message that they have is a matter of life and death. Say, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do this. Now, most of us in this room are not in the military, and so most of us, though there are a few, don't take orders from generals. But who we do take orders from is a king. And Jesus isn't just any king. He is the risen king. He is the king of kings. And so why would we not be compelled to listen to him, the one who reigns perfectly and completely? See, something that we have to understand about being a disciple who makes disciples is that's both about your identity and your calling. It's who you are in Christ. You are a follower of Jesus who is called to go make followers of Jesus. All of us. It includes every single one of us. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples of every nation, he's giving you an opportunity. He's giving you a a chance to see people cross from death to life. He's inviting you to be a participant in the advancement of his never-ending kingdom, to see men and women of every ethnicity rescued out of darkness and death. Men and women of every ethnicity rescued out of darkness and death and out of a false kingdom to experience light and life and be citizens of a new kingdom. They are orders from our king, commands given to us by our king, but they are orders that we get to joyfully seek to fulfill. So how do disciples actually do this then? If we understand what a disciple is and what disciples are supposed to do, how do we actually make disciples? Well, Jesus tells us that the work of being disciples who make disciples is to go, baptize, and teach. To go, baptize, and teach. So the word go is helpful for us because that means we have to actually get up and move. We have to move towards people. And sure, going can mean getting on a plane and crossing the ocean, but going may just mean getting up and talking to your neighbor next door or your kids in your home or the person who's at the cubicle across from you. Going just means pursuing the people that you're in community with right here. It just is intentionality of moving forward baptizing, is that we see men and women as they come to know Christ for the first time, baptized into Christ and into his people, into the church. It's why we do baptism the way that we do, that we believe that someone, when they've come to know Christ, is buried with Jesus in a death-like kiss, so they go under the water and we raise them up to new life, just like Jesus was raised from the grave. It's a picture of their cleansing in Christ, and it's the entrance into the people of God. In fact, we're going to celebrate baptism in about three weeks. A couple of sisters in our church that are going to get baptized, and that's going to be an awesome time to celebrate. If you have not yet been baptized as a follower of Jesus, let me know. We'd love for you to join in on that as well on February the 23rd. He calls us to baptize, but then he says also to teach, to teach everything that he's commanded and shown us of how to live. We can label all of this discipling, discipling, or as Mark Dever, the author of the book Discipling, which we're gonna, we gave out to all of our covenant members to read. So just a reminder, 
members, you've got about two weeks to finish that up. If you haven't started yet, do that today. And if you're not yet a covenant member, maybe you're new here, a regular attender, we have a few that we're going to give out later today at the end of the service. But this is what he says in his book called Discipling. Discipling is helping others to follow Jesus. It's helping others to follow Jesus. They are Jesus' disciples, not your disciples. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't have disciples, and you don't have disciples. If you do, then you're, you're putting yourself up, I don't, maybe, hopefully not intentionally, but as a as the Savior, instead of pointing them to the Savior. It's helping other people follow Jesus. But here's what we have to understand in this, what we have to get in this, is that it's helping others to follow Jesus, whether that's for the very first time, seeing them actually place their faith in Jesus for the first time, that's part of discipling, going, baptizing, teaching, or, and also, it is the ongoing manner in which people are following Jesus. See, we can't Separate those two things out. We can't look at Matthew 28 and think, oh, this is just about evangelism. This is just about missions. No, this is the whole life of seeing people follow Jesus. It's the ongoing process of making disciples. Because following Jesus isn't just about being saved from your sin. Like we said, it's the starting point. So we, if we think that the command that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28 is complete when someone places their faith in Jesus and then we move on from that, we're not making disciples, we're just making converts. He doesn't say to make converts. He says make disciples, followers of me. Making disciples and being disciples is about continuing to follow Jesus in all areas of life. Because the reality is we need to continually be reminded we need to continually be refreshed in what Jesus calls us to. We need to be reminded of the realities of the gospel, of who we are in Christ, of who we're becoming in Christ. To see our hearts and minds and lives aligned with his. And we need to be reminded of that because the world we live in is constantly pulling us away, tempting us to other things. Our own flesh wages war within us to pull us away. We need to be refreshed. We need to be reminded to keep following Christ. I think that's why Jesus says what he says in teaching disciples to observe all he has commanded. So they might walk in it. They might obey him. He actually intends for you to follow him. To see your life conform to his. But this isn't something where you just kind of like plug and play. Like, okay, I just learned everything about Jesus. I went to a class about Jesus and now I'm good. I don't need to learn anything else about Jesus. Our lives are constantly in need of being challenged and taught so that we would keep following Jesus. We would keep pursuing him. This means, and this is why this is so important, why we're spending five weeks talking about this, is because we all need this, because we all need to continue to learn, because we all need to continue to grow spiritually. Every single one of us, I don't care if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, we all need to continue to grow spiritually, to be conformed to Christ. And because this command of Jesus is for all of us to be disciples who make disciples, what this means for us is this call of discipling is a community effort. This is something we do together, that we need one another. It's one of the reasons why we believe in in covenant membership as a church, or if you don't like the word membership, partnership, that we're committed to one another, that we know that there are people around us who are committed to our growth in Christ and and us to theirs, that we're all in with one another. Because listen, we are called to disciple one another. We are called to help one another follow Jesus. 
And as we are disciples who disciple one another, we want to see new disciples made who also disciple one another. And on and on it goes until Jesus comes again or calls you home. It's this trickle-down effect. It's like a, if I can use this in a positive sense, a virus. Right? It spreads. That as we are overwhelmed by the grace of God in Christ given to us that we can't help but share that with other people. And so we just have to share it as they get a hold of that and, and grab onto that. And God takes hold of their life that they're sharing the same thing with one another. If all of us are doing that with one another, then we are discipling each other and making disciples. So, how are we going to do this as a church? If this is going to be a shaping reality for us, if we're actually going to be faithful to what God has called us to, how are we doing this as a church? I think something we have to acknowledge is that we're often tempted to see discipling and discipleship as an individualistic, self-focused kind of thing. Like, we're like, oh, man, I love that. I want to be discipled. So who's going to disciple me? Who's going to pursue me? Instead of seeing that Jesus doesn't say, hey, go and be discipled. He says, go and make disciples. That you're supposed to be the one that's initiating that, that you're pursuing that, that you're being a part of that. So we want to blow up that idea that discipleship, discipleship is just something that's done to you or for you. That's why... Our desire as a church is that we'd have an every member ministry culture of disciples who make disciples, that everyone is participating, that all of our church is seeking to be faithful to Jesus' commands, that you're actually taking ownership over your own discipleship and responsibility for those around you, the discipling of others. Like I said, this is this reality of discipling is both individual and communal in nature. See, we live in an individualistic culture where everything's about Jesus and me, but sometimes I think we can see that as wrong and we can almost overcorrect to community and think, oh, it's all on the community. The community needs to do everything for me. But Jesus didn't just save the community. He saved you as an individual and brought you into community. So we have to hold those things in tension. Your own relationship with Jesus lived out in the context of community. So how are we going to actually do this? Well, we don't want to be myopic about how this happens. Sometimes we can hear the word discipling, and depending on your background, when you hear the term discipling, you think, oh, I I know what this is. It's this one-on-one relationship with someone who's five to ten, at least five to ten years older than me, that meets with me every week for two hours and tells me what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's discipling. Well, that's a way to do discipling, but it's not the way to do it. In fact, I would say if that's your your view of discipling, if that's all you see when you think about discipling other people, then I think you're actually missing out on, on the wide means of grace that God has given to you for your own discipleship and the discipleship of others. Mark Dever again says this, discipling really is just a bunch of church members taking responsibility to prepare one another for glory. That we're looking around the room thinking, oh, these are my brothers and sisters. We get to help each other follow Jesus. So what that means is that the local church is the best place for discipling relationships to happen. I mean, what an amazing reality. If we actually think about this, that we can pastor one another and we can encourage one another and we can disciple one another and we can point one another to Jesus and and see that done in the ordinary life of our brothers and sisters and the ordinary means of relationship that we have with each other, helping each other continue to follow Christ. You know what? That's what we see in the New Testament. As we flip through the pages of the New Testament and we see the apostles calling us to faithfully follow Christ, what's most often mentioned in what it looks like to disciple one another is not someone one-on-one who's older than you. 
That's, that's present, but that's not the predominant way. The predominant way that discipleship happens in the New Testament is the body of believers coming together. The family of God, the community of the saints seeking to present everyone mature in Christ as Paul says he does in Colossians 1.28. So then, that is the aim of our church. As pastors and leaders in the church, we are called to shepherd you. We are called to lead you. We are called to encourage you and equip you for the work of ministry. Do you know what that work of ministry in Ephesians 4 tells us? To help everyone grow to maturity in Christ. So we want to be faithful as your leaders to encourage you and lead you and guide you to be faithful to that, to hold you accountable to it. That you'd actually be living out this calling of being disciples who make disciples. So here's what we're going to do with this. We've created a simple structure of how we believe that someone can and will grow as a follower of Jesus and help others do the same. We're going to throw it up on the screen over here. So if you can't see it, we're going to put it online. I'll just explain it to you though. In this middle circle here is your own communion with God. Your own relationship with Jesus. So you have to understand, right, again, just a reminder, it's your relationship with Jesus, your own communion with God. If you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, you have to be pursuing that relationship with Jesus, that you're actually spending time opening up his living and active word and spending time in prayer, communicating with him and asking him to conform you more and more to the image of Christ. You're spending time with communing with God, but that's not the totality of your discipleship. Outside of this, this next ring here, it says one to three small groups. This idea that you'd have people that you're in relationship with, one to three people, who you are really letting into your life and you're getting into their life and you're helping each other follow Jesus. Now we're going to talk more about this when we talk about this in a few weeks, but it's not just that you would be known and be loved, but you would seek to be someone who knows and loves. You say, I want to know you, brother. I want to know you, sister. And I want to get to know what's going on in your life so I can encourage you to follow Jesus. Don't just be a disciple. Make disciples. So you're spending time regularly with the people that, that really know what's going on in each other's lives. Outside of that, this next kind of outer ring here is community groups that you're spending time on a regular basis with 10 to 15 men and women who are opening up God's word and you're praying with one another and you're fellowshipping with each other and you're being intentional about pursuing Christ with one another. And then lastly, this outer ring here is the gathering with the church. That we're doing what you're doing, what you're doing right now, that you're coming on a regular basis to spend time with God's people, to hear God's word sung and prayed and preached and read over you to help you continue to follow Jesus. Now, we have these arrows here for two, for, uh, uh, two different reasons here. It doesn't just kind of start here and then go in or start here and then go out. It's both and. It's your own communion with God as you're pursuing Christ on your own will dramatically impact the significance of these other three circles. That as you're pursuing Jesus, it's going to enrich your small group relationship with one to three people. It's going to enrich your community group experience. It's going to enrich your time gathering with the church. But the flip side's also true. That as you gather with God's church and spend time in community and spend time in groups of one to three people, that's going to enrich your communion with God also. It's both of those things. You know the cool thing about this is, like I said, we're not trying to be innovative. This is how Jesus did discipleship. He taught the large masses of people. He spent time with his 12 disciples. He knew three of them particularly well, and he often went off to desolate places to pray and spend time with his father. We're just seeking to do what Jesus is doing, the example he set for us. And we are going to spend the next few weeks, what we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're actually going to preach about and through each of these rings to help us better understand how God's word points us to the gathering with the church this idea of community groups, this idea of one to three discipleship relationships, and then your own 
communion with God. And our hope is, is this will help you take ownership. Take ownership over your own discipleship and again, responsibility for the discipling of one another. Now, before we close, I want to ask one more question before we, before we wrap up this morning. And maybe something you're thinking right now, maybe something that comes up in your mind later on, but why does this matter? I mean, it kind of seems exciting and fun, but like at the end of the day, like why does this really matter? Like I know Jesus, that's, that's good, right? Why do I actually need to do this? You know, Jesus taught us to love God and love others more than we love ourselves. And there's no better way for you to love God than to love the things that God loves. And God loves his people. He loves his people so much that he sent his son to be crucified for them. So if you're showing your love for God, it's by showing your love for the people that he loves. And one of the best ways for you to show love towards God's people, to express your love to others, is by helping each other walk the narrow road that leads to life. To, to begin to follow Jesus and keep following Jesus. This matters to be disciples who make disciples because our king commands us to do this. To take up this mantle of discipling. Again, Jesus told us to make disciples, not just be disciples. So it's out of obedience that we do this. Not begrudgingly, but worshipfully and joyfully obeying for his glory and the good of others. This call to be a church made up of disciples who make disciples matters because it is a matter of life and death. That if people don't believe and continue to believe that they will not spend an eternity with God but separated from him, crushed by the weight of his holiness. And there are men and women all around us right now in Fairfax and Northern Virginia to the ends of the earth that don't yet know the good news of Christ. This is not peacetime. This is wartime. That we have to push back darkness together with one another, not only in the world around us, but in our own lives. See, I think sometimes we can think, well, wait a minute, hold on. It sounds like we're going to focus too much inwardly here. We're not going to think about our lost neighbors and the nations. Do you guys know when the church begins in Acts chapter 2? We'll throw that up on the screen. Do you know what, do you know what happens here in Acts chapter 2? The, the, it's right after the church has kind of begun when Christ has been resurrected. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Well, what are they doing? They're gathering together. They're opening up God's word. They're praying together. They're discipling one another. And, and awe comes upon every soul. They're blown away by the grace of God and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They're in community. They're in relationship with one another. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so they're, they're caring for one another. They're using the resources they've been given to love and care for one another in a very physical way. And then it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together, gathering together, breaking bread in their homes, getting in smaller communities, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. But then check this out. What does it say? Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. They're discipling of one another. They're caring for one another. They're pointing one another to follow Jesus led to more and more people who didn't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. Here's the deal. If we want to grow in breadth as a church, if we want to see more people gather with us on a Sunday morning, if we want to see more people come to know Jesus, we must grow in depth. We have to be following him in our own lives. So that's what we're seeking to do together as a church. I mean, what might God do in us? What might he do through us if we don't sit on the sidelines as spectators? If we don't come and consume? What might God do if we don't wait to be known and loved, but we actually seek to know and love others? 
What might God do if we, like Paul, toil and struggle with all of our energy to make much of Jesus in each other's lives? I think he's going to do more than we can ask or imagine. That we'll see strongholds broken in each other's lives. We'll see sin overcome. We'll see the fruits of the Spirit flourish within our, our lives together. Deep joy, abiding peace. We'll see spiritual awakening and revival in Fairfax and to the ends of the earth. And God will get glory and glory and more glory through us. Brothers and sisters, the call to be disciples who make disciples, it's a big task. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's not easy. But let's not forget how Jesus ends his call and commission. Look at the, verse, the end of verse 20 again. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I, the resurrected king, I, the one who now lives forever and sits at the right hand of God, am with you always to the end of the age. Our resurrected king is with you always. He goes with you and before you. He is building his church, and he is doing so through you, through us together. So will you join me in praying expectantly? Would you say, God, I, maybe even if you're struggling in faith right now, struggling to believe that God could actually do this, would you just confess that to the Lord? But then pray, God, help me to have faith. Help me to believe that you could do this in my own life and in our church community. Will you join me in seeking to see Christ made much of in each other's lives? I'm looking forward to this series with you because I believe God will use it to shape us. Shape us in a profound way, in a significant way, that we might actually be faithful followers of our risen King. And so to that end, let's pray now, and then we're going to celebrate by taking communion together. So would you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you this morning. We rejoice in the, the, the gift your word is to us, the gift of your Holy Spirit that you've given to us, that Jesus' command to us to go and make disciples is really a, a simple concept. It's concise. It's clear. God, man, we struggle to do this. God, we, we struggle to be faithful to this. And in our own lives, we, we don't always live this out. We forget who we are in Christ. And so, God, I pray this morning that what you would do, maybe for all of us, is you just wake us up. If we're sleepy Christians right now, if we're sleepy disciples, would you wake us up and empower us to be disciples who make disciples, who actually help each other follow Jesus? God, I pray that you would help us to take ownership over our own discipleship and stop making excuses. But God, I also pray that you take, help us to take responsibility for the discipling of our brothers and sisters around us. God, help us to lift up our eyes and look around and see the gift it is to be in a community of people who are seeking Jesus together. We are hopeful. God, we are expectant. We ask that you would do more than we can even imagine that you could possibly do. And the God that you get all the glory and praise for it. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.